0: want to worship that kind of God. It looks, that kind of God looks way too much like us. And that's the thing. It, it, it's more an idea of God that is too reflective of us to really ever be God. So calling it the Old Covenant infers that there is a New Covenant which is, you know, new, shiny, better, etc, etc, etc. Plus, the reality is that there is not one old covenant in the Bible. Hello, and welcome to Insurance Certain Hope, a podcast about faith, the church, and other things. I'm Father Jed, the director of the Church of the Redeemer in Kenmore, Washington, and your host... On this episode, we're continuing with our Basics of Faith series as we trip through the catechism, and we continue with the entry, The Old Covenant. Question, what is meant by a covenant with God? A covenant is a relationship initiated by God to which a body of people responds in faith. Question, what is the Old Covenant? Answer, the Old Covenant is the one given by God to the Hebrew people. Question, what did God promise them? Answer, God promised that they would be his people to bring all the nations of the world to him. Question, what response did God require of from the chosen people? Answer. God required the chosen people to be faithful, to love justice, to do mercy, and to walk humbly with their God. Question. Where is this old covenant to be found? Answer. The covenant with the Hebrew people is to be found in the books, which we call the Old Testament. Question. Where in the Old Testament it's God's will for us shown most clearly? Answer. God's will for us is shown most clearly in the Ten Commandments. This comes from pages 846 and 847 of the Book of Common Prayer. So I'm not always going to start by quibbling with the title of all of these entries into the Catechism. Even though I have with each one so far, with human nature, with... God the Father, which is lost to history, unfortunately. Uh, But I am going to at least continue that trend with the Old Covenant. I have to do it here because here's the problem. We as Christians have have to always be on guard against the sin of supersessionism. What is supersessionism, you might ask? I'm glad you did. Supersessionism is a doctrine that asserts that the new covenant through Jesus Christ supersedes the old covenant, which was made exclusively with the Hebrew people. It holds that Christians have replaced Israel as the righteous of God. And the, uh, the covenant that Moses made, the covenant that Noah made, the covenant that Abraham made, all of that covenant is null and void and completely written over by the covenant made in Jesus Christ. You can see strands of this theology in the letters of St. Paul and in lots of other places in Christian theology up into the Middle Ages. And indeed, even even in some places into the 19th century. And even 20th century, in fact. You can see it today also in the way that uh, a certain kind of thinking called premillennial dispensationalism, the kind of thinking that much of American evangelical, non-denominational, fundamentalist, white nationalist Christianity organizes itself, it does so around this sort of supersessionist idea. The reality of why those sorts of ch- of so-called Christians, support Israel the way they do is they because they believe once their covenant, once they try to fulfill their covenant, God's going to supersede it with the Christian one. They're going to get punished, the Hebrew people, Israel, and Christians are going to, the right kind of Christians, mind you, are going to get rewarded. So here's the problem even if you're not a premillennial dispensationalist, here's the problem with supersessionism. What does this say about God? Do we want to worship the kind of God that treats people and nations like a hot potato, holds on to them while they're useful, but once they're no longer useful, drops them into the garbage essentially? What's to keep God from doing the same thing to us when we have either ceased to be useful or have violated the covenant enough, our, our new covenant enough times, as we so often do when we fall into sin and have to repent again and again and again? It's not like Christianity comports itself in a particularly righteous manner. So, what's to keep God? the god if god is a supersessionist god who who just sort of changes changes out the people of the covenant as one changes out the wash what's to keep this kind of god from moving on from us from christianity as well why would we want to worship that of God, it looks that kind of God looks way too much like us, and that's the thing, it, it, it's more an idea of God that is too reflective of us to really ever be God. So, calling it the old covenant infers that there is a new covenant which is you know new, shiny, better, etc., etc., etc. Plus, the reality is that there is not one old covenant in the Bible. God makes a series of covenants throughout the Bible. God makes a covenant in Eden with, with with humanity in the first story of creation. God makes a covenant with Noah in Genesis. God makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis. God makes a covenant with Moses and the Hebrew people. And with And with the priests who serve under Moses. God also makes a covenant with David and his family. And the gospel makes clear that that covenant is an important part of the work of Jesus and a direct knock on from the Hebrew scriptures to the gospels themselves. And so if Jesus is David's son and is fulfilling that Davidic covenant, that covenant cannot be superseded because it's the same covenant. So calling this the Old Covenant is problematic in a lot of ways. And I really prefer, I would really wish if they called it either the Mosaic Covenant um, or or the First Covenant or something like that, rather than the Old Covenant, which infers from it this supersessionist idea that there is an Old Covenant that gets thrown in the bin once you get the new one, just like you have your old car and then you get rid of it once you get your new one. God doesn't trade in covenants. For better ones. God's covenants stick. I mean, look at all of these covenants. The 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 covenant of Eden is a covenant that we are co-creators with God in this creation that God has made. That that's still in effect. The covenant with Noah is the covenant that God will not have any more do-overs, no, will never again flood the earth. Covenant with Abraham. I will make you as numerous as stars. This is the covenant. This is this is the best example of a covenant in some ways, because this is the covenant where Abraham, where God has Abraham chop a whole bunch of animals in half. And he places one half on one side of a walkway and the other half on the other, and you line them up. And then Abraham walks through the middle, and then a torch and a smoking censer walk through the middle and that represents God and what God is saying is that may I become like these animals that have been chopped in half if I break if I ever break this covenant with you may I be broken apart chopped in half cease to be if I break this covenant with you So here's the thing. It, this, is, this is what a covenant is. A covenant is an agreement between peoples of unequal power. Abraham has no way of enforcing that covenant, but God makes that promise anyway. And the and Abraham relies on God, trusts that God will keep that word that God has made in that covenant. Trust the promises of God. That's what's reckoned to Abraham as faith is the trustworthiness of the relationship that both sides will keep their word. Obviously, one has an easier time of that than the other. You know, Abraham gets a little wiggly a couple points. But that's the covenant that Abraham makes. The the, the covenant that Moses makes is the covenant that we think of. You know, the covenant that has as part of it at as the as that um, as catechism says at the heart of it is the Ten Commandments but it's actually 618 mitzvahs Uh, that's the the traditional covenant that we think of the law the Torah that's the covenant that Moses makes and 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 the priests make their covenant as a part of that greater covenant and the Davidic covenant is then a knock-on of that Mosaic covenant and so For our purposes, I'm either going to refer to it as the first covenant or the Mosaic covenant as we go through these promises and these questions and answers, excuse me, for the rest of the podcast. It's the Mosaic covenant, the covenant made with Moses, the the Torah, the law. That that we're really talking about in when we're talking about what the prayer book calls the old covenant. Uh, because it is the most fulsome, it is in it are contained in many ways the Edenic, the, the Noachic, the Priestly, and the Davidic covenants. They're all a part of one big overarching relationship of God. And in, in, in the in the in the covenant of Eden with all of humanity, in Moses with all of humanity, in Abraham with all of Abraham's offspring, which is not just the Hebrew people, keep in mind. Abraham makes that promise before Isaac is born and before Ishmael is born. And so the promise that God makes to Abraham, the covenant that God makes to Abraham, is equally applicable. To all of Abraham's offspring. But particularly. The the covenant that God makes with the Hebrew people. Through Moses. Moses acting as the Hebrew people's spokesperson. We have to think about that covenant. In the shape and form of the. Abrahamic covenant though. Right? God's promise In that covenant, in the Mosaic covenant, is that I will take you out of the land of the Egyptians where you are hard pressed because of my promise to Abraham and will make a new covenant and I will set you in a new land and see that you flourish in that land. Right? That's God's promise in it, it's a contract. God has responsibilities. The people have responsibilities, and it's bound. and And this contract is bounded by inheritance, right? God is making this promise with the Hebrew people, and so it's with the people and their descendants. It theoretically, the, you have to be born into this covenant, much as you had to be born into the Abrahamic covenant. You don't have to be born in the the covenant that made in Eden. You don't have to be born in the covenant made in. Noah those are more overarching covenants that cover all of humanity and all of creation respectively but for the abrahamic covenant and its success and and its knock on it's a, in some ways addendum the mosaic covenant you're born into this covenant you have responsibilities to god and god has responsibilities to you in relationship yes it's an unequal relationship but it's a relationship because that's what god desires is to have this relationship with you. So God's responsibility in this relationship is to take the children of Abraham, uh, uh, the children of Israel, the 12 tribes that called the Hebrew people the children of Israel, and plant them in the promised land where God will help them, which God will help them to subdue and to see that they prosper in the land. Right? And and the, the reference through Deuteronomy and numbers uh, it is to the land of milk and honey. Right? It's a land that that is low to no work food, right? It's going to be e- easy, easy to be fed, easy to get your needs met in this land. That's the promise. That's what milk and honey means. Not literally, there are lots of bees and lots of cows. Um, but you know, milk is low work food. Make sure the cows have food. They give you high density, high nutrition um, food in return. Bees, make sure there are flowers, and then you can take honey out of them. <laughs> take honey out of the hives and you have honey. Um, you know, land of milk and honey, it's a land of of less work, right? It's in, in some ways the answer to the curse that God puts on Adam in the second creation story. You know, by the sweat of the brow, your brow, you work the land. And now when God makes a covenant with the Hebrew people, he says – I'm gonna give you this land which is not so much work, which is not so much effort for you and your children and your children's children into perpetuity to, to live in. As long, and here's the kicker in this contract, the Hebrew's responsibility says as long as you live righteously, which is choose life, living in the commandments, right? When God summarizes all of, all of the commandments, what Moses says is God has put before you two choices today, choose life or choose death. Life and death, choose life. Not hard in theory. In practice, apparently quite hard. Um, but God, God says, you know, you know, what I, what I want is for you to live in righteousness, for you to live an ethic that values creation. The creation that I made, the creation that I made you a co-creator in, value that life and live in a way that fosters life. And that's what all 618 mitzvahs of Torah point to, is an ethic of life. That's what All Ten Commandments are to point to is this ethic of life and relationship with God. And and we summarize it in the Catechism with a prophetic utterance, right? That snappy little retort to love justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's from later scripture. That's not from Torah. That's a summation of the righteous life from the prophet Micah in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. You know, Micah chapter 6, 6 through 8, the 6 and 7, the preceding verses talk say, what does God desire? Does God want rivers of oil for sacrifice? Hundreds of bulls sacrificed? Do I have to sacrifice my firstborn child? No. No. God doesn't want any of that. God wants you to love justice, to do mercy, and to walk humbly, to walk in humble relationship all the days of your life with God. That's what God wants. That's what living the covenant relationship is all about. That's how this is supposed to work. The other way to think about it is to live the Shema, right? And the, the Shema is is the quintessential prayer of Judaism. Shema Yisrael Adonai, Araheno Adonai, Echad Wahhafta, Eth Adonai, and on and on and on. I remember the first part of it. Uh, but it starts out, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. You shall remember this and teach it to your children. You sh- It shall be... And it, and it continues. There are actually three parts to the shema. It's quite a long prayer. But it, it talks about how you shall, you shall wrap these teachings around your arms. You shall wear them on your head. You shall write them on the fringes of your garments. And you shall continue to teach them to your children because this covenant extends to them as well. But think about that. That should sound familiar to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. What is the greatest commandment? Scribe asked Jesus. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And, Jesus says, adding a part that is also often added to the Shema. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Loving, you cannot love God without loving your neighbor. That's not something Jesus made out of whole cloth. You cannot love God without loving your neighbor and loving yourself. Because loving God's creation is an act of loving God. And so this is the covenant relationship that God forms with a certain people. Not because they're favored or special or anything like that. They are special because God enters into this relationship with them. But the goal is to mediate then that relationship with the whole rest of the world, with all the rest of creation. They are to be a beacon of shining light to see to show that God is loving and merciful. And desires a relationship with all of God's creation. It's never done in a vacuum. It's never done just for them. It's always done for all of creation. And, the cate- and you should hear that when it says that in the catechism, it's important. Because what because w- it's no different now. God's desire in this is no different now. God's hope in this is no different now. Whether it's in this covenant or in the covenant of, made through Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, God's desire is that God will have relationships. God will have communion, common union with the creation that God has made. And especially with all humankind, if we choose within it, that is God's deepest desire. And what God desires us to choose as well. God started to reveal that his deepest god's deepest desire started to reveal that deepest desire in the relationship with a wandering random people called the hebrews god made a covenant with them that said i will help you i will set you up i will give you a land flowing with milk and honey And what I ask in return for you, the children of Abraham, whom I have made a covenant with to make you numerous and prosperous, what I ask of you is life. Righteous life. Living to increase and promote life. Here are some guidelines. 618 of them for life choose to live and to let others live and the way we see that the catechism tells us most played out is in the ten commandments and we hear that and say what but that's a topic for another podcast. This has been another edition of The Basics of Faith, a trip through the catechism of the Episcopal Church found in the Book of Common Prayer. I'm really grateful for you being with me here on Insurance and Certain Hope and I hope that you will join us again very soon. God's blessing be with you. Christ's peace be with you. The Spirit's outpouring be with you now and forevermore.